0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Be Better Tomorrow podcast. I am your host, Jason Fisher. I'm really excited about my guest this month. Rick Copeland has been an advisor to business owners, helping them to be the leaders their company, their team, and their families deserve, which is really important. He's helped to start, scale, and exit startups. He's worked in investment firms. He's played a key role in the operation and startup of the Dublin Entrepreneurial Center, which is one of the most successful entrepreneurial centers in the United States, housing over 140 companies with 163 graduates. More importantly than that, when it comes to the leader that your family deserves, Rick and Kim have been married for over 33 years with three successful children, so he knows what it takes to be a leader that also takes care of his family. With no further ado, let's talk to Rick.
1: Okay a bigger whiteboard down in a room that I normally sit in okay. during the days, and uh, so that one's been up there for a long time. Every time I look at it, I'm like, I got to update that. <laughs> it's, there's, there's signs all over my walls. They all get updated
0: occasionally. You know, yeah. as things start to come along, that's fine. That's so good. there's a lot of different areas we could jump into. I love the things that you have on your your website to talk about, Okay. Uh, especially when it comes to self-investment, which obviously this podcast is all about figuring out yeah. how we can invest in ourselves to be better tomorrow, but also bringing out good ideas. And then as I'm getting older, my years, I'm finding moving from success, which I've had for a while into really more significance, which... Yep. You tell me which one of those you want to touch on first, and we can just have a great conversation about any of them.
1: Let's start with the self-education piece. I think that's super important, and it's also super important for people who are building themselves, both in their own company and in other people's companies. Can you give me an idea of your market demographics? Have you done enough yet to know, or is this still like, hey, I'm not quite sure I'm who I'm talking to?
0: Well, I'm talking to me. Uh, that's my avatar,
1: really. Okay. So
0: I don't have enough of a market. do. Yeah. I don't have enough of a, of, a, of a audience to have a massive demographic scale, but I know my audience are people who are self-improvers, um, okay. lifetime learners, either love their job now or are trying to get out of the corporate world into a side hustle. I still love okay. what I'm doing and I'm trying to find some congruity in my full-time job with what I want to do as my passion. Yeah. Trying to make that work. So
1: okay. i I'm really
0: looking to leave, especially if anyone from my company is listening. I love my company. But. <laughs> I, there are things that I'm looking to do outside of the regular nine to five that are more significant work for me, more passion projects for me that uh, especially as my kids are eventually going to get out of the house, I'm going to need something to do and I'm planning for that ahead of time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty smart.
0: You have to. I, if I, if I want to stay sane, I think so. So yeah, how do you find there uh, are the best ways to start with self investment, especially maybe if you don't have a ton of time or money, maybe
1: I started by uh, going to conferences that I found interesting and they didn't necessarily fit in with the venture capital firm that I was working at, although I could draw a line, kind of a squiggly line to the work that I was doing. Okay. And so I just started going to conferences. I started listening to podcasts, started reading. So I just started taking in information that I found interesting. And I felt that was giving me new ideas and helping me to improve on the things that I was currently doing for, for the VC firm at the time. And that eventually turned into a great arrangement with our CEO where I was going to conferences instead of on my vacation time. I just kind of disappeared for a week or so. I would come back. I would brief him. I would brief a few others on what I had learned and that was a good exchange. Good. And, that, and that's an interesting point. You probably, you went
0: maybe asked up front. I don't know if you got an answer originally, but you were able to work something into what you're normally doing that enabled right. you to grow and help the company at the same time. That's As Right. I'm sure you're going to
1: benefit back. And I had, you know, a long-term goal of that was really exploring what I wanted to do in the future. But I could also apply 90% of the things that I was learning either, you know, through reading or the conferences or podcasts to my current clientele and the current work that I did with the VC firm. So it was very valuable not only to me but it was also valuable to the firm. And it wasn't education in the VC world per se, but it certainly had a lot to do with entrepreneurs at the time.
0: And so did you find you were able to bring ideas maybe from outside the, the thought
1: framework that was existing in the current VC environment? For us, yes. And how, how I did that is that we had a lot of entrepreneurs that would come to us with interesting ideas, but they weren't necessarily investable. And the things that I was learning outside of the firm at the time I could then point those entrepreneurs to, have you considered doing this? Have you considered turning your idea into a membership site? Have you considered maybe combining this with something else? The goal for any entrepreneur is simply to be successful in what they're doing. Funding is kind of a sideline in that. It's not always the goal. And to me, it's not the primary need of an entrepreneur. And so I would try to point them to the most useful resources that I was discovering and learning at the time.
0: Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but then you're actually pushing them, not necessarily away, but if it's not right to invest in, that wasn't necessarily helping your firm except to maybe they'd be investable later down the line if they're able to find success elsewhere. But what were you able to bring to the company that kind of gave them a fresh perspective or, or directly helped the company from, from research you were doing that wasn't necessarily connected originally?
1: It was more of a broader view on entrepreneurs. So okay. in our world in Central Ohio, we have a lot of really smart entrepreneurs who are doing amazing things. And we started to see some unicorn exits. So those are the ones that go to a billion dollars and they're just giant companies within a few years. There are also a lot of entrepreneurs that are never going to get that funding. Their ideas aren't fundable for a variety of reasons. doesn't mean they're bad ideas, but it just not, doesn't fit in with the funding parameters. And so that broader view of entrepreneurialism helped us to help entrepreneurs in a broader way. That's really what I was all about at the time. Funding, to me, is an interesting sideline to growing a company. And if you need funding, you should certainly pursue it. And if you're fundable, that's outstanding. Sometimes, though, it's a distraction if you believe you need funding and you're pursuing that, but you're not particularly a fundable company within the constraints of whatever firm you're chasing to fund you. Yeah, and I I know that's kind of a convoluted explanation.
0: Well, and it's interesting because my experience in anything in the VC world really is limited to Shark Tank. And so... When I hear those guys say, you know, your, your company's not investable. What I usually hear is you're too small of a fish for me to deal with right now, but there may be a reason why that's not necessarily the case. It's just that the, the investor can't get their money back out in time or it's not within the realms of the portfolio they're looking at. Uh, That's exactly
1: right. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I actually think Shark Tank is a great example for people to study, not necessarily for the ideas that the entrepreneurs are bringing to the show, but for how the investors are asking questions. If you pay close attention, you'll see that they take notes. Sometimes it's extensive notes, uh, on legal pads. And they're really thinking about this from an investable standpoint. Does it fit within how I like to invest, who I invest in, Uh, is this something that I can contribute to and help be successful? So they're doing a lot of analysis. What we see on TV is about 20 minutes worth of two and a half, three hours of them standing in front of the sharks. I've read that from a few people, especially just not even getting the lighting and the cameras
0: right, but just the conversation taking that long. I wish it's right. see an unedited cut of that to kind of see the whole length of the conversation. The outtakes, I'm sure, would be funny as well. But just to to hear that whole conversation from beginning to end would be really right. interesting. It, it's, it, my-
1: it's super interesting if, if you really like that funding world what we're getting are the highlights and the entertainment pieces, right? Most of the, most of the shark tank like experiences that entrepreneurs go through in raising funds are pretty boring. You know, they're somewhat technical. They're all about, is this a good idea or a great idea? What about this piece of competition? What about this piece of your business? So it's a lot of arcane discussion, but it's all exceptionally valuable discussion to figure out how does this fit within an investment portfolio? And so what we get in Shark Tank are the highlights of that, yeah. which is also pretty interesting. Yeah, outside of me, you and a few other people, nobody else wants to hear two hours of that conversation. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to hear it most days.
0: <laughs> right. I just want to hear it once just to kind of get an idea of what it looks like. That's I have right. That, I have that interest level where I can be interested in anything for a short period of time. It's when I get to yep. the finishing returns where I, I don't need to learn that much about it. I don't care. It's not, We're done. So one time.
1: Yep. I'm with you.
0: I'm kind of curious, what kind of conferences did you find yourself going to that were outside the realm?
1: Originally, it was conferences around entrepreneurs and it was around entrepreneurs that were either uh, thinking about leaving their businesses and, you know, or their employers, I mean, and then uh, doing something on their own, or it was about people that were doing something on the side. It was about people who were just looking to network with other entrepreneurs. I would say over the span of three years, I went to six or seven different conferences they were all interesting. I made some great contacts. As a matter of fact, the, the first conference I went to met a guy, and we are now share a mastermind together. You know, we just hit it off. Then we lost track of each other for a couple of years. Reconnected a couple of years later, and fast forward four years, we've been part of the same mastermind for four years. So you just never know what you're going to get out of a conference, but most of what I got out of that were uh, the relationships that I built while I was there, and then kept going afterwards. And then a little bit was the knowledge that I took back. As you're working with company leaders,
0: what do you find are the things that they really should be investing in that they're not? As far as self-investment, that is not necessarily other business investment.
1: That is a great question. And before we get right there, the reason why companies stumble is that the owners or the founders don't grow in front of the companies. So it's critically important for people to constantly be upgrading their knowledge not necessarily so that they can do things, but the, so they can understand things. For example, I think it's critically important to understand the finances of a business. I, yeah. I personally would not do the finances of the business or I'd run it into the ground pretty quickly, <laughs> but I at least need to understand so that when my accountant or a business partner or somebody is is telling me something important about the finances, I can understand what they're saying.
0: Right, That makes sense. Yeah. And so what and, you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is the leadership needs to be learning so that as the company grows, it's not growing past them and growing out of their control or outside their realm of knowledge.
1: That's exactly right, because companies will grow much faster than the leaders when the leaders are paying attention to the day-to-day details of the inner workings of the business. And instead of being right above the business and looking out into the future and saying, what do what does the business need to be six months from now, a year from now in order to grow? And who do I need to be in order to be leading that business effectively? And and who does my team need to be to be leading?
0: That's a great question to be asking yourself. Who do I need to be to be leading this organization effectively? Right. I think you're right. A lot of us, even if we're not in that kind of leadership, are so stuck in the day-to-day rut of what's going on and what fires need to be put out we don't take time to step back and ask those kind of reflective meta questions about our growth and the direction we're going.
1: Oh, that's precisely right. And I've seen that repeated a hundred times. That happened to us in our startup. We were the right people to start the company. We were so involved in the nitty gritty details of, of trying to make it work that over the span of about six years, we failed to grow our sales. and not growing ourselves meant that we were not the right team to carry it forward. So we did a great job of standing it up, growing it to a point, but after that point, we should have been smart enough to bring in more uh, seasoned leaders to take it to the next level beyond where we could have. And we just didn't know enough then to do that. We didn't know enough to grow and we didn't know enough to call in uh, the right people. Well, that's got to be tough too. You, you build something from the ground up. It, it's your passion. It's your baby. Yep. And it's kind of like
0: handing your children off to somebody else to take care of, for like adoption, not just going to school. Like they're not right. coming back at the end of the night. This is going to be somebody else's baby to take care of from here on out. That's a that's a
1: great analogy. I like that. But yeah, that's really true. Business owners need, need to take that view that really I'm building an asset here and that at some point I can step out of this asset. It should be able to run on its own. If the business can't, then it's not really a, a mature business and the owner becomes the limiting factor for the business.
0: Now, is that just because the business owner should be getting the right people there to help run the company
1: along with them? To some extent, and it's also a combination of that plus not letting go of the things that they really enjoy doing or that they've been doing for a long period of time because of growing a business. So a great example is one of my clients right now, he owns the building that his company exists in. To get the mail, he has to walk across the street. He's been in business 30 years. 30 years ago, they got paid by check. So they got checks in the mail. He was the guy to walk across the street when he was on his own. Then when he added an employee or two, he kept doing that. Now he's got a couple of dozen employees and he still walks across the street to get the mail. So our discussion was, okay, so is this your highest use of time for the business? Answers probably no. Then we have to add in, is this something that you enjoy going out and getting the mail? Well, it turns out he didn't because he they weren't getting checks anymore. It was all electronic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he was just doing that. When you're getting checks in the mail, that's fun. When, you, yes. <laughs> when it's junk
0: mail and advertisements, it probably doesn't matter anymore. That's right. Yeah. Like, even if that was his smoke breaker, the only time he got a chance to rest his brain for the day, maybe it's still yeah. healthy. But
1: That's right. That's it, a, it all depends on how you frame it. Is it valuable or not? In right, some ways, right. it might be. And and then, you, then you're intelligent enough to make a decision – I'm going to keep doing this because it's valuable. Or you can say, okay, it's not really that valuable. I no longer get the enjoyment or the usefulness out of it that I used to. I'm going to have somebody else do this.
0: How do you measure that value when it's not anything that directly reflects the bottom line?
1: So it's an individual preference at that point. Mm -hmm. So for me, I would not want to walk across the street and get the mail every day. I would think that'd be a big distraction I might go outside and say, oh, I'm going to take a walk for a while and just disappear just because, you know, I'll look down and see something shiny and go after it. This client, it was still an enjoyable activity for him, but not to the point where he felt that I have to keep doing this. And instead, he asked somebody else to do it. They were happy to get out of the office, whereas he could stay and continue to do the work he wanted to do. So it was individual preference. And and it's not a yes, no answer. For some people, it's a, heck, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. For other people, it's, nope, I think I'm done doing that.
0: And that's good to know that not the decision of one person is not universally the right decision for everybody else. Um, as we're all making decisions in life, it's you know it's our life to live and right. maybe he really enjoys going across the street and taking that break. But maybe he doesn't. He just needs to know, I guess, make the decisions consciously and know he has the freedom to make those decisions. Is that right? right. That is exactly right. Good. I like it. Good stuff to remember for everybody. Um, one of the things we talked about when we were on the phone call before, and it's a slight change of subject now, but is around getting that clarity. I'm sure there's a lot of business owners who are running in a million different directions and again building the business, probably haven't had time to figure out if everything they're doing is the right things to be doing. Right. What are some of the processes you go through with your clients to say, let's get some clarity around what you should be doing and figure out where key performance is and what we want to stick to and maybe what we don't? Okay.
1: Yeah, for every business and every owner, those are different questions and different answers. But the framework you can work through is pretty simple. You have to step back and look at the company and ask what the company requires of a leader today. And by that, I mean, what does the leader need to be doing and thinking about in order to effectively move the company forward? Is it more team development? Is it Economic conditions that may affect business six months, a year down the road could be a lot of things. Uh, so what I think is important is to figure out the four to five things that really matter to the business and then say, okay, is that the leader that you are today? Sometimes that answer is yes on all counts. Sometimes it's no on a few of the counts. So we then start to say, well, what do we need to change in order to be that leader? And then the leader can make decisions around, okay, so I need to clear some of this stuff off of my desk and I need to focus on these things. The most successful leaders only focus on four or five things at any given time. And usually it's one thing at one time. So they're not multitasking, but they may have four big rocks on their desk that they pay attention to. And if they can limit their attention and their energies to those four or five things that really move the business forward, then they're better off. The business is better off. Their team is better off and everybody's families benefit.
0: And when there's more than just those four or five things, do you recommend delegation or just elimination?
1: It's a combination. So okay. some, some things you can just stop doing. Um, you know, we, we've all heard stories about the reports that everybody gets and nobody reads. <laughs> I'm, I run most candidates. of those reports. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I have too. You know, those are good candidates to just stop doing. And, and, sometimes uh you know company leaders can have a little bit of fun they'll just stop doing something and see if anybody notices or sometimes you make a decision to delegate not because you don't want to do a task but for two reasons number one you can give somebody else another challenge that will help them to grow and the second reason you would delegate something is because somebody's going to do it a lot better than you are a great example of this is i used to work for a big financial institution I'm a big picture person. I don't like details. My eyes gloss over when we get, you know, one level down at the details. So I hired very detail oriented managers and they drove me nuts with the detail level at which they operated and they were happy at, but we absolutely needed that in order to be an effective institution. And then that freed me up to do the work of what do we need to be in the next six months you know, both from a competitive standpoint and from a client standpoint that we're meeting the needs of of our customers.
0: Yeah. When you've got the ability to let that go to somebody else, then you do have time maybe to step back and figure out where the business is going to be and where you need to be as a leader six months from now.
1: That's right. And there's, you know, sometimes there can be some trepidation in that where you can be fearful about letting something go because you look at it as like, I can't let my eyes off of this. I can't trust anybody else. And then that's a growth piece for the person, right? They have to be able to let those reins go a little bit. Maybe they've got to do some extra training for somebody or they've just got to say, all right, Susie can do a better job than I can at this. And so I'm just going to give it to her and say, please run with this. Let's make the company better as a result. If you can't trust anybody... Yeah. If you can't trust anybody around you, you've hired the wrong people or you have serious trust issues. <laughs> you need to work. Uh, it's a combination of both. Yeah. <laughs> but sure that's that is. issue of growing in front of the company, right? That, yep. That's a growth issue for a person to begin to let that hard grip of the early stage business builder go because early on you do have to pay attention to everything. You're the only person sometimes, maybe you're one or two or three. And so you have to be on top of every ball. But as you get larger, and the company grows and you bring in smart people, you have to let those balls go.
0: All right, so whether it's starting your side hustle, getting that business started that you've always wanted to do, or simply having an online resume for yourself, you need a website. Something simple, something clean, something that people can find when they look for you. You don't want them to find your Twitter account, your Instagram account, or anything else like that. You want them to find what you want to be shown. That's why I suggest DreamHost for all of your hosting needs. I've used DreamHost for 10 years. They've got awesome plans and great little techniques that will help get you started, including one click installs of the web's most popular software, WordPress. WordPress powers 30% of the internet, if not more. I use it for all of my sites. It's easy to get started. It walks you right through. Perfect setup for exactly what you need. If you go over to BeBetterTomorrow.com slash support, click on the link there for DreamHost. You help support the show while getting the website that you need. All right, back to the show. That's funny. I was just going to ask you what the skill differences are between that individual who's starting something up, who's covering everything, wearing all the hats, and moving into a small business where they're becoming more of a leader with some employees that are able to do those things. What are some of those other skills
1: you see Uh, people have to grow in? Oh my gosh. Business owners have the hardest job in the world because they have to be financial people. They have to be product people. They have to be service people. They have to be customer people. You can name a list of two dozen things that they have to be. And so business requires a lot of an individual. And I think the most important aspect of somebody is to recognize their limitations and either shore up those limitations or better, find somebody who does something better than you. And frankly, it's not hard to find some somebody who does many things better than you. And you bring those people in. If, if you can't figure those things out on your own, it's often good to get
0: somebody like yourself to give an overview, like get another set of eyes on the company. Somebody you can trust, a coach or a mentor to say, all right, I'm struggling with this. You help me see from an outsider's perspective what's going on. Uh, and I think right. a lot of- a lot of folks struggle with the idea of being able to step out in that kind of humility and admit that they need need help because they built this whole thing on their own. They should be able to continue to grow it on their own.
1: Right, right. And I think that we've been brought up to not admit weaknesses or that we need help because it's viewed as a deficiency. When in fact, I think asking for help is a great strength.
0: And it frees
1: frees you from the tyranny of having to do everything.
0: Well, that's why Brene Brown's work right now is, is so hot. She's br- bringing vulnerability into the workforce that's been so so set on not admitting weakness or vulnerability or, or letting anybody see that, but being, oh, showing clear. that we all need help. And, and you're right. I, I agree. It's a strength to be able to ask for it. I'm not good at it. It's not my strength, but it's a great strength for some people. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> my wife and I joke, when I was a youth pastor, we got a soda machine for the youth grouped just to sell, to raise for mission trips and things like that. And I did not want to ask for help to move it. Do you know how much those things weigh? (laughs) (laughs) Too much to move. (laughs) For sure. Three of us struggled with it. Oh yeah. I was just like, oh, I got to get over this. This is a, this is a pride issue. that's going to kill me literally if I try to pick (laughs) this thing up by myself.
1: Yeah. But that's a great example. You know, we, we just have it in our heads that we have to do something and we have to do it perfectly or very well. And that when we do struggle, that we really can't show that on the outside. Right, especially for the leader. I mean,
0: I was raised in a place where leaders are are meant to be looked at almost like a higher pedestal. Like, they don't make mistakes. You can't admit that. Or everyone will lose confidence in you. Right. I'm finding it's just the opposite now. You know, with my kids even, like, I I repent to my kids when I make a mistake. Like, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I need you to forgive me. And I think that means a lot more to them than if I just dug my heels in and showed them how prideful I can be. I've done both. Option B is not a good option. Yeah. Well, I've done both as well, but you're right. I agree. your marriage lasts longer if you don't do it that way too, I hear. So I'm going to...
1: That's true. That's option C. Just go with the flow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Any of the other topics you wanted to talk about? We, we mentioned earlier.
1: Let's talk about family and uh-huh. how that plays into our work worlds and things like that.
0: You're allowed to have a family when you're building a business. I didn't think that was an option. <laughs>
1: not easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, when I was in big six consulting and then working for the bank, I was all the corporate guy, right? Mm-hmm. But as I looked at our, our two kids at the time, and then we adopted our daughter a little bit later, I realized what I was doing was not a life that I wanted them to pursue. So I had to look around and say, okay, so what kind of skills do my kids need to see in me that they can adopt? that they can at least learn from and apply. That was one of the driving decisions when I left the big corporate world to go to a startup, doing something brand new, something that was totally unfamiliar, did not have any security, hardly at all. We didn't know the outcome. And I wanted to go there, you know, kind of prove myself to myself, Mm -hmm. but also to provide an example for our kids that, you know what, in this changing world, In this world where a lot of people have side gigs and a lot of people uh, don't have traditional jobs, like we've defined traditional jobs over the past 100 years, um, you can do very well. And you have to take responsibility for yourself in order to do very well. And so that's what I wanted to show our kids. And I started doing that with our startup. I think I did that pretty well when I was with the VC firm. And I'm being really open, especially with my boys, about how hard it is to be uh, a single person running a business and helping other business owners be successful. There's very little easy about that, but it's the most rewarding work I've ever done. And I tell my boys that and I tell my daughter that. And how old are your kids? So our oldest right now is 25. Then our uh, second son turns 22 this weekend and our daughter uh, is 16.
0: Okay. So they've been able to kind of watch this whole progression. They've been old enough to recognize what's going on. That's kind of, yes,
1: yeah, you know, they've seen some of the successes. they see seen me banging my head against a wall. Um, they've experienced it all, and especially for our boys as they've gotten older, it's been a great avenue for me to talk about, to encourage them when they've encountered some difficulty, you know, after college or during college, and say, hey, you, you remember that time that I was banging my head against a wall? That time passes. Right. And
0: success or failure, I've learned something from it, and we can move on. Right.
1: Yeah, right. And you know, it, it's a really messy world. It's totally messy. There's nothing that I can't predict tomorrow what I'm going to do with much greater certainty than what I'm going to do next week. Although I'm pretty rigid about what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff comes up, new opportunities present themselves, client needs change or evolve. A new client comes in, a client says, I have to cancel our meeting. So you know, it's variable every day. And that flexibility and ability to adapt to the moment, I think is a critical skill. And when I can show my kids the ability to do that, I think that helps them. In the world that they're coming into, it's, it's such a ch-
0: rapidly changing world. Right. I don't even know what kind of advice to give my kids as far as careers and decisions make, because I know that the world that they're going to be adults in is significantly different than, than what I came up in. My, oh, parents, totally. my parents had the same job. My whole life. Yep, me too. Um, I, I know they had a couple before that, but my dad retired from the job he always had, as far as I know. My mom did the same thing. That's just not an option anymore.
1: Um, yeah, it, it's, 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 I think it's still an option, but it's, it's probably not your best option. I think we do live in a world now where things change fairly rapidly. Expectations of employers and employees have changed radically. You know, it used to be, and, and I, when I came out of college, I'm thinking, I'm going to be a corporate guy my whole life. I've got Mm -hmm. this mapped out. I'm going to be uh, this, that, and the other thing. What I discovered over time is that no matter how loyal I was or how dedicated I was, uh, the whims of business could change pretty quickly. People could make decisions around me that I had no influence over. And that happened. And uh, you know, after a while, you begin to think, okay, I need to take charge here. And so one way I do that, taking charge is, okay, I have to Continually improve myself. I have to be on guard in in, in looking for things that uh, I need to be learning or doing or mastering or people that I need to be connecting with. It's a flux world, but I think it's a good flux. Oh, I do too. I think the freedoms
0: that they have, the options they have to to do things things I wouldn't ever. I mean, obviously, podcasting didn't exist when I was a kid. So, right there's obviously new, brand new options, and there there will continue to be. But I don't know. I, there's so many things out there that they can pursue and dream. I'm almost jealous.
1: Like I oh, guess. I am, I am too. Every our time our time. second son had an amazing internship uh, prior to his senior year this year where he was working with a company that is on the bleeding edge of technology in terms of 3d modeling and metal parts production with hmm. 3d printers. And he went and did this for the summer and it was astounding the things he got to learn. Yeah. And so as a result of that, He's doing 3D mod. He's doing a project with some other students uh, from other universities this fall, doing 3D modeling to help young kids with prosthetic needs. And I'm like, I never had an opportunity that was that wildly amazing when I was in college ever. And I'm like, dude, that's amazing. What comes next? And he he would tell you, I don't know, but it's going to be good. My daughter (laughs) is getting into all
0: kinds of genetic research now. She's look, she knows more about CRISPR than I do because I only know what it stands for but all that, that gene- amazing slicing and editing technology. Yeah. You uh, telling me how she's going to take over the world by building the perfect disease and the perfect cure. And then she'll just monopolize the whole market. I'm like, that's a little
1: evil, but I, you know, <laughs> I like your creativity. <laughs> right. I like how you think. <laughs> You're going to spare me. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. That's the requirement of being a good parent, right? Is channeling <laughs> that amazing energy into something positive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just read today they, they did the first
0: test of the gene of gene editing on human cancer cells in Pennsylvania. So they're actually, you know, starting to get into the genetic level therapy for cancer treatment, and I'm like, hey, you want to awesome. get on the front of that? that that's amazing.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah. Think of the opportunities that that provides for people to explore, and then for the changes for the better for our brothers and sisters who have cancer. I mean, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the stuff that they've already done with mice, where they've slowed down the aging process by about a third. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could extend life. You can cure diseases. You can make yourself glow in the dark if you wanted to, I guess, but I don't know why you didn't do that. <laughs> really interesting stuff. There's some neat documentaries on Netflix where they go through all the human biohacking that people are doing for them on themselves testing this thing out because it's so cheap and easy.
1: Oh, yeah, it's amazing. I, it's I still want to find the invisibility gene. I'm not so interested in glowing in the dark, but being invisible, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, well, as long as you
0: turn it on and off. Right. I don't want to <laughs> always be invisible. That'd be weird. That's right. <laughs> I end all my shows with this. Let me just ask you, what are you doing today to be better tomorrow?
1: Oh man, that's a great question. So I'll answer that in terms of my kids. So I look around, I'm constantly looking and seeing what, what is the dad I need to be for my kids. Mm. And for my sons, that was one answer for my daughter. It's a completely different answer. And that keeps me on my toes. You know, it's communication skills. It's, it's really having empathy it's being able to react or not react to the emotional range of, of a daughter that just amazes me. Um, but you know, it, to me, it's just, what do I need to do to be the dad they need today? And then for, for my wife, what do I need to do to be the husband that my wife needs?
0: That is a great answer. And I think you're the first person to kind of take it in that direction. So that's, that's awesome. We get something new. And if you figure out how to handle all those things with girls, let me know. Cause I've got two and I don't understand at all. <laughs>
1: Oh man, me either. I've learned so much else about being a dad from my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, just funny, funny stories. So I'll tell you something. I don't know if you want to include this in a podcast or not. But so several years ago, uh, our, one, our oldest son and his buddies were wrestling downstairs. And that turned into we're going to suffocate one of our friends. So, <laughs> as it, boys do. Know, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's just kind of a guy thing. Oh, that makes total sense to me. That, that was a little bit of a dust up. So we had to take care of that. Fast forward a few years. Uh, my daughter is uh, at, on a, a trip with her soccer team. Uh, she, they're watching a movie in one of the rooms. And so I go downstairs to get her at 11 o'clock and they're all piled up on the bed with each other. So my first thought is somebody's being suffocated. So, <laughs> so it was all I could do <laughs> to not funny. react. Yeah. I mean, you know, what else would I think? Right. Yeah. So those was pile up do. like
0: puppies though. They're <laughs>
1: right so i asked her as we were walking back to our room i said so what were you guys doing and she just simply answered cuddling and i'm like oh my god do i have a lot to learn (laughs) (laughs) it was all boys when i grew up
0: i don't understand this at all i always look at my wife and go is this normal is this how it works okay yeah all right i'll try
1: i'll run with it yeah that's me too and it's it's great fun you know it's it's challenging
0: (laughs) yeah well it keeps you on your toes that's for sure
1: that is right All right, Rick,
0: thank you so much for your time. I think this has been really great, uh, good, informative, great, great food for thought. And I really appreciate you making the time and figuring out how we can make this happen despite all the technical difficulties. Yeah. This has been a production of Be Better Tomorrow. The show is released under Creative Commons 3.0 alike license, which means you can use it however you like as long as you give me credit. The music you're hearing in the background is by Kevin MacLeod of IncomTech, also released under Creative Commons 3.0. If you've been listening to this podcast and been enjoying it, just go ahead over to our website and subscribe to the podcast. All sorts of ways to do that, whether it's through Stitcher, Spotify, if you're one of those Apple people, subscribe there through the Apple Store. Get subscribed so you don't miss any of the great ways we have to help you be better tomorrow.